Today's episode of The Amazing Nerd Show is brought to you by HelloFresh. Listeners, do you feel like you're stuck in a dinner rut? With HelloFresh, you get fresh pre-measured ingredients with mouth-watering seasonal recipes delivered right to your front door. Skip all those trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. You can now enjoy cooking and get dinner on the table in 30 minutes or less. With over 25 recipes to choose from each week, there is something for everyone to enjoy. All recipes are designed and tested by professional chefs and nutritional experts to ensure deliciousness and simplicity. Now, Christian, one of the reasons I love HelloFresh so much is I love their variety. But I'm not gonna lie, last week, I must have had the old school barbecue pork Slappy Joe's three dinners in a row with the pickled onions and the potato wedges with the Chipotle ranch. It's just delicious comfort food done right. Well, you know me, I've always enjoyed a hot bowl of soup, so I've been trying a bunch of options. Most recently, their Italian wedding soup with meatballs, simply amazing. So listeners, go to our link in our show notes and get $80 off, including free shipping on HelloFresh, the number one meal kit. That's HelloFresh, the recipe for deliciousness. Nerds, it's time to suit up and nerd up. Launching badass rockabilly track. Now preparing bargaining speech for Dormammu. Time to save the world with some wrestling, video games, movies, horror, and more. Launching ANS in 3, 2, 1. Welcome to the amazing nerd show. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is The Amazing Nerd Show. All right, on this week's show, we're going to be breaking down the latest episode of What If? And we also have a film review for Candyman. Plus, we'll be giving you a preview for AEW's All Out. All right, but before we move on, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, give us a five-star review and DM us a screenshot. Not only will we read it on the show, but we'll send you some Amazing Nerd Show swag. This week's episode of The Amazing Nerd Show is brought to you by Liquid Death. So, funny story, Damon. I was actually, you know, getting some gas at 7-Eleven, and I figured, you know, I'd pop into the shop, get me a nice ice-cold can of Liquid Death, and I guess there was a kid there doing the exact same thing. Well, uh, this cashier, however, was quite confused when, you know, this you know 13-year-old is holding a black tall boy. I had to pretty much chime in, you know, showing that it's, you know, delicious mountain water, because the guy was giving this poor kid a hard time. You know, it was this whole ordeal. When the cashier asked why it's called liquid death i of course had to let him know because it will brutally murder your thirst and don't forget man they're bringing death to plastic bottles because of their infinitely recyclable tall boy cans that they also donate 10 percent of profits from to help kill plastic pollution most plastic you throw in a recycling bin actually just gets sent to a landfill because it's not profitable to recycle but Liquid Death's aluminum cans are infinitely recyclable and actually profitable for recycling facilities. And man, let's not gloss over just how badass these cans look. Like sometimes I like to sit on my front porch blasting some Megadeth in my tank top, pounding these bad boys back and scaring the shit out of the neighbors thinking, oh no, Damon's drunk again. <laughs> and to think I was just trying to stay hydrated, man. <laughs> hey man, to each his own. Right now you can head over to liquiddeath.com 
and with your purchase, you can use our promo code AMAZINGNERD and you'll get a free Koozie 2 pack. Or hey, you can be like me and head over to your local 7-Eleven or Whole Foods nationwide and pick up Liquid Death today. And brutally murder your thirst in style with your very own ice cold can of Liquid Death. Let's get into the news. Every week we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters, we're mere podcasters with opinions. Well, first up, we have some big rumors for the future of The Mandalorian. So this is kind of a weird story, but I thought it was worth talking about regardless. Uh, Cinelink's editor Jordan Mason took to Twitter to clear up some rumors about the Disney Plus Star Wars show ending after its third season. According to Mason, a fourth season is actually in the works. But after that, the show will undergo some serious changes. Quote unquote, if it ends, it will also, I hear be morphed into a new show that sticks with the characters and time period, but under a new name. Uh, Mason continued by saying that season three will up the scale, something that was definitely kind of teased in the finale of season two with the inclusion of Luke Skywalker. Now, something that has been rumored ever since like the conclusion of, you know, season two is that we might be getting a Luke Skywalker slash Grogu series. Now that's a rumor we never really talked about because it's not coming from any kind of reliable source. Um, but it is an interesting idea and I'm wondering if that's kind of a direction that the show might be going in. But I feel like more likely it's going to be Din Djarin joining the fight, you know, to free Mandalore um, from the clutches of the Empire. Uh, and if there is going to be a title change, I think it's just going to be like the addition of a subtitle, you know, something like, you know, War for Mandalore or something like that. Um, I just don't see them changing the name completely because that's just, I don't know, bad marketing. I personally feel like if they decided to just keep it the same name, but start to change with the make some changes to the structure of the show, I wouldn't have a problem with that. I feel like if they were just to go like, oh, we're going to focus more on some of the other characters or side characters that we've been introduced to so far. I don't have I don't see a problem with that. Maybe make it more like Walking Dead style where you're following different, you know, storylines. I guess. But then it feels like, well, why don't you just do a separate show at that point? Because they're doing True. so many other spinoffs. I mean, you're getting a Ahsoka spinoff. So, I mean, why isn't just more of the same? I guess the idea is to capitalize off the name, but even with that, you have Disney Plus where they are doing so many different things. They just have to put Star Wars, go to this section, and I'm sure anyone would check it out. And I think they would get like a certain amount of backlash if they have like a Mandalorian show without the Mandalorian, you know, Dejurin. So uh -huh. I don't know. I mean, I, I think you might see more side stories um, or just a bigger scope in general, but I still feel like the focus is it's got to be the Mandalorian. Well, we also got some DC fandom news. So yeah, so on this past Tuesday, DC announced uh, some new details tied to DC fandom 2021. Uh, it's set to occur Saturday, October 16th, beginning at 10 a.m., 12 p.m. Central. The event, just like last year, will feature exclusive content and breaking news for everything DC. So, so far, some of the things we know to expect from the event in the world of DC films, we're going to be getting an exclusive new trailer for the Batman and a first look at Black Adam, along with a sneak peek for The Flash and a behind-the-scenes look at Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom and Shazam! Fury of the Gods. 
Also on the DC television side of things, we're going to be getting an exclusive look at HBO Max's Peacemaker, along with some new looks for some returning HBO Max favorites like Doom Patrol, Titans, Harley Quinn, and Young Justice Phantoms. We'll also get previews for all the CW shows, plus tons of video game and comic book news for the upcoming year. Oh, and I don't want to forget, they also teased some major surprises. And if you followed the event last year, they definitely delivered on that. So hopefully the same goes this year. And of course, we'll be covering it all right here on The Amazing Nerd Show. We also got an update on Fede Alvarez's Texas Chainsaw Massacre film. So yeah, The Hollywood Reporter broke the news today that Netflix has now acquired the global rights to the film. Uh, we have no premiere date as of yet. Uh, what we do know is the film will be directed by David Blue Garcia and the movie takes place years after the shocking events of the original in a setting where Leatherface hasn't been seen or heard of since. I mean, it's been a while since we've had a good like Texas Chainsaw Massacre film, so here's to hoping it doesn't suck, right? Also, am I misremembering or were we supposed to be getting a Texas Chainsaw Massacre like TV series? Am I crazy? No, man, I could swear there was going to be a Texas Chainsaw TV series. I don't know what channel, but I, I could swear there was going to be one. Well, I'll have to look it up again. I, I feel like we talked about <laughs> it on the show. I know the Chucky one is just like weeks away at this point. Mm -hmm. And then I, I believe there was like a Hellraiser rumored series. And then even like a Nightbreed rumored series. Am I making this up? <laughs> I don't think you're making it up, dude. I don't, I, we've covered all these stories. Yeah, so we'll see if anything comes of it. And, you know, maybe we'll be talking about a Texas Chainsaw Massacre series sooner than later. I don't know. And on that note, we also have an update on the next Paranormal Activity film. So Paramount and Blumhouse's upcoming new installment and the Paranormal Activity franchise will be going straight to Paramount Plus with Christopher Landon of Happy Death Day and Freaky Fame writing the script along with William Eubank directing, who also directed the horror film Underwater. We don't have a premiere date just yet at this time, but Deadline is reporting that it is headed our way this Halloween season which is right around the corner. So that's pretty fucking crazy. Uh, the new movie has been described as an unexpected retooling of the franchise, reportedly continuing the tradition of taking a found footage approach. Christopher Lannan has actually worked with the franchise prior to this. Uh, he wrote the second and third and fourth installments of the series, along with writing and directing paranormal activity, The Marked Ones. I feel like it's been kind of forgotten, like just how big this franchise was for like a moment in time, which is unfortunate because I know a lot of people like to shit on like found footage films. And for the most part, a lot of them are just that shit. But I actually enjoyed the first three films. Uh, I thought they were simple but effective. And I know I'm not alone because those movies made millions and millions of dollars and they're still churning them out today. So. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Christian, were you a fan of the Paranormal Activity franchise? I don't think I've ever been the biggest fan of the Paranormal Activity franchise. I think the first one came out while I was still a little too scared of horror movies in middle school. But at the same time, um, even as I grew up more with them and stuff like that, I wasn't always super into anything found footage. It's just you're me. just trying to make me feel old. That's all you're doing. Like, <laughs> <laughs> middle school. <laughs> I was a homeowner at this point. <laughs> <laughs> whatever okay <laughs> now did you see 
you know, the first one in the theaters? Because I know your mom used to take you to the Saw films. So I did not. We did rent it and see it at home. So maybe okay. I lost that experience. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> but I think that's almost scarier. You know, it's what's going on in the house. That's true. That's true. So it was probably just not gory enough for a 12 year old Christian. No, definitely not. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I do think the later ones got a little too ridiculous for my taste as well. I tried to give it more of a chance as it went on. But so I actually think I enjoyed the second film more than I enjoyed the first one. Um, but like right now, at in this moment, for the life of me, I could not tell you what happens in the second <laughs> film. They all just uh-huh. kind of blur together. But I know like mm. distinctively, like after th- the third one, like everything just kind of goes off the rails. Yeah, the ghost dimension and all that stuff mm. was, uh, yeah. was a mess. <laughs> but you know what? I'm hoping that they're able to like revitalize the franchise and, you know, bring something different to the table. Uh, and fuck, man, it's just more horror films for us to watch during October. So why not? All right, Christian, it's that time again. Let's go ahead and break down episode four of Marvel's What If. Warning, spoiler alert. Spoilers for Marvel's What If ahead. You have been warned. This is where it starts for you. With the death of Dr. Christine Palmer. So overwhelmed by loss, you will seek answers in the mystic arts. In me. Help me bring her back. I'm sorry, but I can't. No one can. Her death is an absolute point in time. If you thought Marvel's What If series was going to be, you know, a bunch of playful, fun stories, here comes another dark timeline to prove you otherwise. Episode 4 begins with a retelling of the events of Doctor Strange's entry into the MCU. However, instead of his hands getting damaged this time, it would be his heart, as Christine is in the car with him during the fateful crash and ultimately dies. This being what is used as the catalyst for Strange's spiral into the mystic arts. Yeah, real interesting concept for a new timeline. Uh, but yeah, this episode was pretty much the equivalent of Kevin Foggy like pulling down his pants at Junior Cheerios. Because this was fucking some <laughs> dark bullshit, man. <laughs> I was not prepared for that. <laughs> But no, I agree. It was a very dark episode. But we see besides, you know, his motives, most of the MCU films, you know, events still play out the same. You know, we get the Ancient One dying. He uses the Eye of Agamotto to take on Dormammu and become the Sorcerer Supreme. But it would be on the two year anniversary of Christine's death that things truly begin to go askew. Caught alone by Wong with the Time Stone in hand, Wan makes a slight attempt at discouraging what Strange could be thinking of doing, but once alone, Doctor Strange flings himself back in time to the night where it all happened. So I'm surprised that they even bothered training him if they knew like this was his real motives the entire time. Because if you think about it, like that's what's motivating him here to like get into the mystic arts exactly but i imagine the ancient one knew that he was going to have to go up against Toramamu, right like yeah i guess i guess but in the long run obviously she couldn't see past that point because at what cost because mm-hmm. <laughs> where we end up at the end of this episode i mean fuck Dormammu. i mean it's not strange you gotta worry about <laughs> It's very much a, like, Vader story. Yeah, right? (laughs) And apparently, like, death means just as much to the Ancient One as it does to, like, Obi-Wan and Yoda. Because we keep on getting, like, a force ghost of her just popping Uh up. 
I was like, well, did you really need to even stop being the Sorcerer Supreme if you could just pop up whatever the fuck you want? <laughs> when Sue's After Strange takes his first dive back into the past, it can only be described as a montage of pain and pure agony, as no matter what Doctor Strange attempts, he can't save Christine. Car crash after car crash, attempt after attempt, we see new ways she would have died that night, even if Strange were to like completely avoid her, not even show up to like pick her up or anything. She she still dies in a fire that night in her apartment. Now, this is the one scene where I can like justify his like descent into madness because mm. he's literally just watching like the love of his life die over and over again in front of his eyes. And there's like nothing he can do about it, no matter how powerful he is. And as arrogant as Stephen Strange is, as we both know, it's just got to drive him to you know, pure insanity. I did love the timing of this episode, like coming out after, you know, the No Way Home, you know, trailer dropped and all the fans like right off the bat saying, oh, that can't be Doctor Strange. There's no way he would fuck around with like, you know, people's memory and the timeline like that. I was like, oh, no, no, listen. <laughs> yes, <laughs> this is absolutely Doctor Strange's DNA. You know, obviously, mm. like maybe he's not made a choice like this dark, you know, uh, in like the normal continuity. But he does shit like this all the time, you know, so an arrogant Doctor Strange would think, oh, no, I could definitely fix this for Peter. You know, so I just thought it was just perfect timing. I think one of the main things from this scene I wanted answered in this episode was just like, who the fuck is in that car that keeps ramming them? You uh -huh. know, I, I was like, and then I started thinking about like, what if this point in time is actually being, you know, controlled by the ancient one? But uh, as we go on, we'll find out that, you know, she yeah. isn't in control of it but. yeah because we come to find out that it doesn't matter whether or not they're on the road or you know they're hanging out eating pizza at a restaurant like she's oh. gonna die <laughs> regardless which is just absolutely heartbreaking after several attempts to save christine it seems an earlier version of the ancient one comes to stop and explain to strange why he can't save her this specific event is an absolute point in time something that must happen no matter what and if it were to be reversed it would destroy their timeline and universe altogether. So this concept of like an absolute point in time, it feels like the real reason why they chose to tell this story, because it feels like a concept that they want people to grasp, you know, for down the line as they, you know, for all this like multiverse insanity that's going to happen throughout the MCU over the next like couple years. I mean, it's a pretty cool like plot point if you think about it, like some things are just destiny and you can't change it. And I'm sure writers are going to use it to, you know, get themselves out of some jams. You know, when it comes oh, I... to like some internet trolls. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> like, no, well, that had to happen. Sorry. <laughs> no, I get the feeling it's going to be a major plot point of the multiverse of madness, especially if like with Wanda probably trying to bring her kids over. Mm -hmm. There's probably going to be some ordeal. She has to get that through. Like you some can't point. just constantly rewind time and change things. Yeah. There are just some things that are etched in stone no matter what. And I think they kind of allude to that. Uh, in Loki with the whole Infinity Saga. Like, you know, Thanos had to collect all the stones. The snap had to happen. So, um, but yeah, no, it, it, it's definitely an interesting concept. I, I want to see how it plays out. 
Of course, Strange is still not able to accept this and is convinced there is magic out there that might be able to break a fixed point in time. And Strange actually tries to send himself back in time once more, but this starts a conflict with the Ancient One as she blasts him with a spell, but Doctor Strange is still able to get away using the Time Stone. Or so he thought. Here we see Doctor Strange has sent himself back in time to a time where the library of Cagliostro is still intact, and we meet this man named Obeng, who guides him into the library. Here Strange learns just what it will take to break an absolute point in time, as he will need to absorb a mass quantity of magic from powerful magical beings. This is when the Strange we knew takes his final steps over the line into probably what we would call villainy, as when he attempts to politely take power from what seems to be the actual same tentacle beast Peggy Carter fought in the first episode, uh, he is knocked simply unconscious by it. Well, when brought back to consciousness by Obang, Strange realizes if he is to you know get the power he needs, he will need to take it forcibly and begins summoning dark dimension beings and absorbs them all whole into himself. I wonder the backstory behind the like evil gnome thing. <laughs> Well, I have no idea. I like, know nothing I, about the gnomes. I hate fucking gnomes. <laughs> I thought that thing was terrifying. <laughs> My daughter, like, recently got into, like, a Gnomeo and Juliet or something. Oh, yeah. I remember that I movie. I could barely watch the movie. I was like, these things are fucking creepy. I, I turned this off. Mm -hmm. <laughs> she loved it, though. <laughs> Strange over a series of absorptions seems to unlock a power state that gives him the ability to hear and see the Watcher, who actually at this time is contemplating intervening as he knows what Strange is attempting will bring the end to that timeline. The Watcher, however, chooses not to disturb the natural order of these events, saying that they could have possible catastrophic repercussions across the multiverse, which then of course allows Doctor Strange to finish his task and we find out that he's been doing this for centuries in this kind of slow down state of time um, as we find that Obang who has not been in that state is now dying. So this is definitely like the most interaction we've had with the Watcher since the series has begun and I feel like it's really kind of laying the groundwork for a choice that the Watcher is going to have to eventually mm -hmm. you know make somewhere you know in the series of actually somehow intervening now whether or not it's going to be like on his own or if it's going to be like through a team that we've kind of speculated that you know maybe he puts together like this like you know cosmic you know multiverse version of the avengers we'll just have to wait and see Upon Obang's final moments, we discover that the Ancient One had actually used dark magic to split Doctor Strange into two beings, at the point where he decided to go back to save Christine. And we also find out that if he wants to be able to pull off this spell, he's most likely going to have to absorb the other version of himself in this timeline. This is when we meet the version of Strange who decided not to go save Christine as he discovers his universe is falling apart. An astral projection of the Ancient One appears to Strange and explains what is going on with his far more evil half. And even while the Ancient One explains how catastrophic these events are, you can kind of see a glimmer of hope in Strange's eyes at the possibility in saving Christine. But ultimately, he does choose you know, the greater good and to go and confront his darker half but even after this point i was still expecting him to side with his evil half because oh, okay. i could kind of like you said mm -hmm. like you kind of see that glimmer in his eyes so i was half expecting him to like join forces <laughs> and still like attempt to save christine you know uh 
it's just part of his nature as a character. I mean, not to play spoiler, but I felt like that was part of the reason why he was able to fail when he fights later on. Uh, just because, you know, there's a part of him that does want Christine. Subconsciously. Than, yeah, so I can see that. So. I mean, that and like, you know, the hundreds of evil demons that, you know, <laughs> his darker <laughs> half absorbed. Uh-huh. <laughs> As Strange prepares for the battle ahead with an actual dissolving version of Wong, the Dark Steven grabs hold of Strange and drags him into a timeless realm. Here we have two sides of Strange attempting to bargain, one side vying for the lives of an entire universe while the other wanting to bring back the love of his life. Good Strange just doesn't seem to be able to get to, you know, bad Steven with, the, you know, his reasoning, and a battle does end up beginning, both landing these devastatingly powerful magical attacks, but it would be bad Steven that comes out on top after melting the cloak of levitation and absorbing his alternate self. I do love myself a good magic battle in the MCU. I won't lie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like this weird, like, sorcerer foo that they do. And I mean, all the action scenes in What If have been awesome, like, every single time. And I just love the animation here when Strange starts to sink down to whatever realm, like, his dark half is in. Um, just super fucking trippy and psychedelic. Like, I want more of that from the series. I also have to love Wong in that scene because he's like saying, hey, are you going to save us or Christine? Because <laughs> like, he's, while he's dissolving, yes. too. <laughs> it felt very much like Wong, though, right? <laughs> exactly. Just matter of factly. I thought this was a great performance, too, by Benedict Cumberbatch. I, I'm so glad that he signed on to do like the voice acting for this. I think it just makes such a big difference when they actually have the actors you know, the actual actors for these roles, like doing the voice acting, you know, in the series, like it just it elevates it to another level. No, oh, exactly. And I think he's really great in this role in general. Like, you know, he did voice work for um, The Hobbit and even that felt kind of wooden compared to this performance. So I think this is awesome for him. No, you can just tell how invested he is in the character at this point. Yeah. Doctor Strange now, with all the power he needs, actually ends up transforming into a monstrous being as he casts this powerful spell that reverses Christine's death. But unfortunately, Strange's new form does nothing more than terrify the now revived Christine. And on top of that, the universe is past the point of saving as it begins to collapse on itself. In a last-ditch effort to save his universe and Christine, Doctor Strange pleads out to the Watcher, and for the first time ever, we see the Watcher actually fully interact with one of our scenario characters. But to Doctor Strange's dismay, the Watcher chooses to turn his back on Strange and allow this universe to fall. And with the end of the episode, we get Strange just floating out into the void, contained in a spell he casted, having lost everything i did like that like in his final moments um or what you know might have been his final moments we see strange kind of realize the error of his ways and like plead with the watcher you know not to let the you know universe pay for his mistakes um and then the watcher just you know giving his justification for not interfering um 
you know, it's definitely something that's going to come into play, you know, somewhere down the line in this series. Mm -hmm. At least that's what it looks like from the trailers, as we talked about before. But like, I know since the first trailers for the series, we've been kind of speculating that the Watcher could be like putting together this group of like multiverse heroes to protect different timelines. But like after this last scene and this conversation between, you know, this version of Strange and the Watcher, like I started to wonder like if it might actually be Strange who's the catalyst for this like multiverse group of Avengers as an attempt to like kind of repent for letting his own like universe die. I felt like it could either go that way or they could try and make Strange the big bad villain if he's just mm -hmm. floating out there and eventually, you know, all that power inside him explodes or something. But at the same time, I, I, that makes a lot of sense. I could totally see him being the reason that there's a multiversal team, especially if the Watcher just refuses to get involved in any type of way. Yeah, if it wasn't for that last conversation mm -hmm. between the Watcher and Strange, where he's trying to get the Watcher to like interfere um, to help his universe and like punish himself. Uh, yeah. Instead, I would totally agree with you where I could see like, you know, Strange being like the big bad of the series, like this version of Strange, um, you know, and like this group of heroes having to like form to fight him, which I could still 100 percent happen. But like after that conversation, I started to think, well, what if it's Strange who's trying to like do the job that the Watcher refuses to? You know, like mm -hmm. he's powerful enough to like witness these events and everything and probably travel between different like, you know, universes at this point. So what if he becomes this almost like anti-watcher? <laughs> he, he becomes, he becomes the doer. <laughs> uh -huh, the doer. <laughs> That's horrible. <laughs> That's a terrible but you know what idea. I mean. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Get it. Episode wise, I really did enjoy it for the most part. I think there was I, I was a little bit thrown off by how evil he came off when they showed, you know, the good Steve and the versus the bad Steven. And it was just like he seemed a little too cartoonish villain when we've been with this character for like the last 10 minutes. You know, him not he wasn't that like evil up to that point. But you got to remember, like he's you know under the influence, too, of all these different like demonic beings you know mm -hmm. who are super powerful so he's probably a little like dark magic drunk with all that like evil like coursing through his like veins so i mm -hmm. mean give, give him a break i'll try <laughs> and obviously at this point he's just determined to get what he wants no matter what like he's willing to do whatever it takes even if he has to go through himself but all right, that does it for this episode of what if uh next week i guess we'll be talking about some thor see what he's doing and now a message from our sponsor, Manscaped. Attention listeners across the galaxy, all the way from Australia to Houston, do we have a pew problem? If so, our friends at Manscaped have cleared you for takeoff with their fourth generation and brand new lawnmower 4.0. Blast your pube to the next planet with the Performance Package 4.0. The orbits in your pants will feel like you're in zero gravity when you use the best tools for the job from the leaders in male grooming. 
Join the 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and get your rocket ready for takeoff by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with our code AMAZING. Christian, I'm a hairy bastard. And one day my wife said enough's enough and got me my very own Manscaped lawnmower. I went from being a Wookiee to being as smooth as Lando. So you know my Bad Batch was more than ready for the next mission when I got my Lawnmower 4.0. Ready for an out of world experience, fellas? Look no further than the Performance Package 4.0 from Manscaped that has just taken off in not only the US, but Canada, the UK, across Europe, Australia, South Africa, and Singapore. Inside this package, you'll find their Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, weed whacker, ear and nose hair trimmer, crop preserver ball deodorant, Crop Reviver Toner, Performance Boxer Briefs, and a travel bag to hold your whole solar system. First scheduled for liftoff, new Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer. This spaceship is here to guide you on a journey to trim your body, balls, butt, and even your anus. This fourth generation trimmer also features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 has a 7,000 RPM motor, a new multifunction on-off switch can engage a travel lock and is even waterproof. The Lawnmower 4.0 also has a 4000K LED spotlight you can turn on and off when needed for a more precise shave throughout your travels across the universe. The Performance Package 4.0 also includes the Weed Whacker. It's like having a little astronaut to chop your worst weeds in your nose and ears. The Weed Whacker is also waterproof and uses a 9000 RPM. RPM motor powered 360 degree rotary dual blade system. This nose and ear hair trimmer provides skin safe technology which helps prevent nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate holes. Don't forget to use the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and the Crop Reviver to help your little planets be on their A-game while feeling the sun's heat. Manscaped even threw in two free gifts to their Performance Package 4.0, the Manscaped Boxers and the Shed Travel Bag. Abort Harry Balls and Buzz Lightyear that Woody with Manscaped. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. And use our code 20AMAZING. That's 20AMAZING to unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Well, all right, Damon, we saw a movie this week. That's right, Christian. We saw Candyman. Warning, spoiler alert. Spoilers for Candyman ahead. You have been warned. And now, our feature presentation. I think I made a mistake. I brought him back. Candyman isn't real! Something's happening to me. He had a purpose for you. Be another one of his terrible stories. I guess he found me. I am the writing on the wall. The sweet smell of blood. Be my victim. This is not real. It's not real. 
a sequel to the horror film Candyman from 1992 that returns to the now gentrified Chicago neighborhood where the legend all began. This was written and directed by Nia DaCosta and also written by Jordan Peele and Wynne Rosenfeld and stars Yaha Abdul-Mateen II. So Candyman has easily been one of my most anticipated films of the year. I mean, I remember seeing the original while sleeping over at a friend's house when I was younger, and it absolutely shaking me to my core. To the point of me just being so scared, I wouldn't look in the mirror for weeks afterwards in fear of like somehow subconsciously invoking the Candyman. At this point in my life, it was really unlike any other horror film I had seen, and part of that was because it didn't take place in the middle of the woods following some ridiculous teenagers. Instead, it only took place only miles outside my front door in Chicago. This just made the film feel more grounded in reality and me more connected to it. Unfortunately, over the years, I feel like a couple of lackluster sequels has somehow tarnished the film's legacy, and it never gets the recognition that it truly deserves. So with that being said, I was super excited to hear that Nia DaCosta would be directing a quote-unquote spiritual sequel with Jordan Peele producing and helping pen the script. And I'm happy to say, for the most part, I wasn't let down. Candyman follows a young artist, Anthony McCoy, played by Yaha Abdul-Mateen, and his girlfriend, gallery director Brianna Cartwright, played by Tiana Paris, as they move into a luxury loft condo in the now gentrified Cabrini. It's here that Anthony discovers the real-life legend of the Candyman, and decides to use it for inspiration to help get his art career back on track. But of course, this causes him to unknowingly unleash a storm of violence that leads him spiraling towards his own destiny. DaCosta, right off the bat, does a fantastic job of recreating the hypnotic tone and feel of the original through beautiful visual storytelling that really just seeps into your pores. Stylish and atmospheric, I just loved how the film creatively used reflections in this like mirrored universe to deepen its suspense. Just as heartbreaking and terrifying as the original, the film ambitiously attempts to expand the themes of the first movie, which sadly feels more relevant now than ever. I also really appreciate how it seamlessly added to the original mythos of Candyman, really just elevating it to another level and making it somehow feel even more poignant. With that being said though, the film is far from perfect. It definitely has some serious pacing issues, specifically in the first act. Um, It feels like the events are just escalating at this almost unnatural pace, and it really just kind of takes away from the story. Uh, We don't get a chance to really get to know Anthony before he heads towards his descent. And that's really unfortunate. I think some of the pacing issues also have to do with some subplots that never feel fully realized. They just kind of end up not going anywhere and not adding much to the film. Also, there's this huge revelation that comes kind of out of left field that feels just completely unnecessary to me. And don't get me wrong, like I understand wanting to connect, you know, this film with the original, but something about it just felt messy and, I don't know, just like overkill. So, but I think my biggest issue overall with this movie was, and I know we've given a spoiler warning already, but I'm gonna say it again, spoilers. I just wish we would have gotten more scenes with Anthony as Candyman. I kind of assumed with the trailer that we're going to get some kind of like dark reflection version of himself, you know, committing the murders throughout the film. 
until eventually we would see the two like versions merge. Um, but instead, we got another completely different version of Candyman in this like tragic story of like Sherman Fields. And this is who we see like haunting the characters throughout the film. While I understand the reasons this is done and them wanting to make the Candyman a curse that, you know, keeps on happening throughout history. The problem is, is the Fields version of the character just wasn't as effective or had the presence of the great Tony Todd. Todd is so amazing in the role. It's really hard to see anyone else like other than less than compared to him. But with that being said, because it was definitely teased in the trailer, I was excited to see Abdul Mantine put on the trench coat. And I think he could have really pulled it off. But sadly, we only got a brief glimpse of him as Candyman. Now, regardless of all these gripes, at the end of the day, they were almost completely washed away with one of the strongest endings to a horror film I can like remember. It manages to both honor the past and celebrate the future of this horror classic in one shot. So with that being said, I'm gonna go ahead and give Candyman a solid B. It's a very good film that comes very close to being just as great as the original. I mean, if they could just, you know, get an extra 15 minutes to flesh out some of the story and maybe, you know, do it by getting rid of some of those unnecessary subplots I talked about, then I do think the film had the potential to meet that high bar set by the original uh, to the point where I'd love to see an extended cut somewhere down the line if that does even exist. But anyway, Christian, the floor is yours. With my experience with the film, I definitely left the theater with conflicting emotions for many of the reasons Damon just gave. When Nia DaCosta's Candyman gets a scene right, it's not just a good scene, but one that absolutely is a home run. There are plenty of moments in this film where everything is clicking, and like Damon said, the final act was solid. But on the flip side, this film has a bunch of weird moments throughout that I noticed as either bad acting or like poorly written moments or just a lack of connective tissue to benefit the overall story. On top of that, I greatly wanted more from Mateen's transformation. And due to what seemed like glaring pacing issues, it felt like we rushed through some of those important moments that, that might have made the you know transformation a little bit more exciting and or possibly might have cleared up some of the connections from our subplots. Like I could see where they were heading with the girlfriend's story and her, you know, multi-tiered subplots, but it never pays off in a way that feels like it truly connects to what's going on with Mateen's character. And then there were side characters with very, very wooden performances that just kind of knocked me out of the movie at times. But to compliment sandwich this a bit, I personally was in love with all that they did with the reflections throughout the film and just how the cinematography worked as a whole. You know, the special effects also felt solid and I enjoyed all the kills even though a great number of them were given away by trailers. I think Mateen, uh, Tiana Paris, uh, and Coleman Domingo were great in every scene that they were in and were the catalyst for what was a great final act. But unfortunately, I'm not just grading solely on those last moments alone. And for that reason, I'm giving Candyman a B-, which I think is still pretty fair of a grade. And I would still actually recommend other people giving this a try um, while it's still in theaters.
this week's episode is also brought to you by Thousand Fell. Damon, are those fresh kicks I see? That's right, Christian. I went ahead and ordered myself another pair of Thousand Fell. But not only do they look great, but I'm doing my part to help the environment. Not only are they comfortable and stylish, but Thousand Fell is redesigning sustainability for the next generation, starting with a fully circular sneaker. Each pair combines thoughtful design with modern and sustainably sourced materials, making them durable, comfortable, and recyclable. 97% of sneakers end up in a landfill, and Christian, we're not okay with that. Your sneakers no longer have to end up in the trash. They can be recycled. Let's design a brighter future, zero waste, closed loop sustainability with Thousand Fell, the future of footwear. Thousand Fell aren't about setting abstract goals for 10 to 20 years down the line. No, they're about action. No more greenwashing. They're building a fully transparent recycling program with Super Circle. Super Circle is the next phase in their commitment to circularity, ensuring that every pair of Thousand Fell is recycled and reused in their supply chain. Their new recycling program is the first of its kind. Every pair of Thousand Fell purchase comes with a $20 recycling credit towards your next purchase, making it easier than ever to skip a trip to the landfill. Join the movement at thousandfell.com and use the promo code AMAZINGNERD21 to get $21 off your first order. That's right, listeners. Head over to thousandfell.com, use our promo code AMAZINGNERD21, and get yourself $21 off your first order, and let them know the nerd sent you. Get ready to rock the future of footwear and look good while doing it with Thousand Fell. Well, now it's time for Christian's Corner. This past week in gaming, we got a deeper dive into a few of the games that were announced around um, this year's Gamescom. And the two that actually caught my eye the most were, of course, you know, the Dead Space remake and for Axis's Midnight Suns. To start with Dead Space, one of the most relatable statements made during the tech demo was just how we kind of like remember games when they came out at the peak of their generation's performance. You know, I personally remember being stunned by how great Dead Space 1 looked when it came out in 2008, which I had had it on the Xbox 360. And to this day, I have fond memories of how the game used atmospheric scares and incredible lighting and graphical effects to make the game as terrifying as possible. But with this tech demo, we got to see just how far we have come with the detail in games like Dead Space, and that just brought me quite a bit of joy to be honest. It feels like the team over at Motive are putting love into this remake, and while the game still has a lot to go, it shows a lot of promise. You know, just in a few minutes, they you know showed us an updated version of a you know famous moment in the hallway, and I was already terrified, just like I was in 2008, of what lies around the corner. And as I said around the announcement of the Dead Space remake, I talked about the most recent successes from you know Resident Evil's remakes and you know just how this seems to be a winning plan for EA as long as they don't find some way to muck it up with like microtransactions but hey right now especially with the state that the game is in you can probably expect Dead Space to arrive late 2022. Meanwhile we got more of an idea of what the Midnight Suns game was going to look like. The team over at Fur Axis will have you the player diving deep into a role-playing experience where you will face up against the evil Lilith who has been awoken 
Hidden by Hydra. Something that I'm not sure how I feel about just yet is that you'll be playing as an original customizable character named the Hunter, as the Midnight Suns chose to awake you in an effort to combat these forces of Lilith. The reason I'm a little iffy about it is just how bland the character seemed to come off. It just felt like this very generic thing in the midst of all these Marvel characters. But maybe in the end, that's just so that you can have a more moldable character throughout this game. Which is fine and all, but it may have been simply more exciting to focus on and probably roleplay as an already established Marvel character. However, the gameplay trailer did have a large emphasis on getting to know and create relationships with your fellow teammates. And if handled well, I would hope these interactions have you know, major consequences or effects to the main storyline. Combat is described as a kind of cinematic strategy experience um, with with a random card system to keep the fight you know, unique as you won't know exactly how your battle cards will be or how they will interact with your fellow teammates. And I gotta imagine when you see a card system like this, you probably immediately assume the worst as it comes to microtransactions. But the developers made sure to say the only thing purchasable about this game after the fact will be the outfits and you know, cosmetic items. But even so, this style of game as a whole doesn't interest me all that much, you know, gameplay wise. But I am intrigued by the Midnight Sun storyline and how it will work as a game. Plus, I do give them props that these characters look significantly better than what we had saw in that Marvel's Avengers game. Uh, this is currently slated for a spring release next year. Now, as far as the stream goes, um, next weekend uh, we will not be live Saturday or Sunday just because I will be personally out of town and won't be able to stream, but we'll still be live Thursday and Friday and we'll have another episode, of course, of PCW. Uh, hopefully you guys have been enjoying that. I enjoy making it for you guys, but if you're new to us in general, make sure that you follow us over on twitch uh, we go live thursday through sunday at 12 noon central time and if you want to be up to date with all of our stream info make sure that you are following us at amazing nerd live on twitter but all right let's move on to some wrestling take a look at this uh oh the coffin drop scorpion death drop and now look at this cm punk good night gts go to sleep it's Wednesday, but you have not seen Dynamite yet. So unfortunately, I'm going to have to spoil some things while we kind of fill in the blanks. So my apologies. I had no problem. All right. So let's go ahead and jump into the card. Now, right off the bat, uh, we had the uh, pack uh, versus Andrade match dropped due to travel issues. I don't know on whose end exactly, but I mean, that's definitely unfortunate because I was looking forward to that match. No, yeah, uh, that really does suck, to be honest. <laughs> right? And I don't know where that leaves the whole, like, death triangle angle, you know, that they had going uh, forward. Uh, but I guess they could just eventually play it out on Dynamite. Mm. I still hope that they utilize um, Andrade in some form on this show if he's in if he's in town. Yeah, if he's in town. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm assuming it's probably packed, though. Since I think he goes back and forth between the states mm -hmm. and England, so, um, but I guess we'll have to wait and see. Uh, you know, the the report just came out, uh, but because of that, there was a match added. Um, they 
bumped up the women's casino battle royal to the main card and then they added a multi-man tag match yep it's a big 10-man tag team match between the best friends uh, alongside jurassic express going against the hfo on paper it looks like a clusterfuck and it probably will be <laughs> to uh. be honest so i guess like the one silver lining in like the pack and andrade match you know, being canceled, if there is any, is the fact that the women's casino battle royal is actually being bumped up to the main card. Um, yes. You know, because it felt weird that it was in the buy-in. Like, that feels like it should be a bigger match and a bigger deal. So I'm glad to see it get, like, you know, its proper respect. Well, especially since we think, you know, a couple people will be debuting for the first time. That's right. Right now, the big rumor is that uh, the former Ruby Riot will be showing up underneath her new alias, Ruby Soho. And there's another slot open. So uh, I know a lot of people's uh, 90 days are up who were, you know, yes. just recently released. So we'll see who, you know, makes an appearance. All right, Christian, why don't you go ahead and read off who's actually in this match? Penelope Ford, Red Velvet, Sheeta, um, Sakura, uh, Cargill, Hogan, Abandon, Layla Hirsch, legit Layla Hirsch, I should say, who apparently just had a great match. Killian King, Rebel, Jamie Hayter, Ana Jay, and of course, our two women that we don't know. First of all, what the hell's Rebel doing in this match? I don't know. <laughs> Falling over. <laughs> you know what's weird? Where's Rio? Why isn't she on I'm this? I'm not sure. Huh. I have no idea. Because she's supposed to be stateside. Is she injured or something? I mean, maybe they want to introduce her back in as a surprise. I don't know. Well, but she did the buy-in like last pay-per-view. So is it really much of a surprise? No, not really. But who knows? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> do you have a prediction on who do you think is going to actually win this? I would like to see Thunder Rosa win uh, personally. But I feel like they would probably want to go with if if Soho is showing up, I would I assume that they would want Ruby Soho to win and or they've been having a bit of a focus on Tay Conti lately. But so my gut tells me that it's probably going to end up being Thunder Rosa who walks away the winner here um, just because I feel like they're going to want to rekindle that feud between her and Britt, especially since Thunder Rosa just like signed to the company. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, you got a good point with, you know, Ruby possibly debuting here. But at the same time, we've had other wrestlers debut in like these giant fucking gimmick matches and not, you know, win the thing, you know, and not mm. be hurt by it. You know, I feel like it's almost like, you know, debuting during a Royal Rumble or something like that. You don't necessarily have to win the thing to make a big splash. So and you won't be hurt by it. So I don't know. We'll see. Uh Anna Jay just returned on Dynamite tonight, and I know that they were really invested in her before she got injured, so I wouldn't be mm-hmm. surprised by her getting a big push, too. Well, up next, we have some singles competition as we have John Moxley going up against Kojima. So, yeah, tonight's Dynamite, they did have a nice little hype video for this match. Um, something that I thought they needed when uh, we had the whole Tanahashi challenge of uh, Lance Archer and his U.S. title. So I'm glad that they, you know, went ahead and, you know, put something together to hype this up a little bit. Um, I don't know. This still feels a little flat, like kind of like a consolation prize. 
um, especially with all the different like names from New Japan, like actually stateside right now. Yeah, um, I, I just was expecting something more, uh, but it is what it is. Hopefully that's still in the cards down the line. You never know. There could be like a surprise, you know, at the end of the match, like maybe Jay White just randomly shows up. Who knows? No, that would be awesome. And that's kind of a match I was really hoping for either uh, him or uh, Osprey. But I think Osprey actually just came down with COVID. So yes. that's obviously mm-hmm. a no go. Um, and hopefully somewhere down the line. And actually, it's kind of rumored that maybe in New York, we'll be getting that Moxley and Tanahashi match. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing Moxley defeat Tanahashi. <laughs> Christian's a huge fan of Tanahashi. Uh-huh. Huge fan. Uh, but we, bo- we both have Moxley going over Kojima, right? Oh, yeah. Okay, absolutely. Right. Okay. <laughs> Just checking. Uh, up next, we have a big match between Paul White and QT Marshall. So, uh, yeah, tonight they did a huge angle. Well, kind of. <laughs> If it was 1998, uh, they uh. had the gun club turn on Paul White. Uh, wow, they okay. came out to make the save. I mean, rather late, which I thought was odd at the time, but I still didn't put it together because I was like, why would you even do this? Maybe it's just so far fetched and weird. <laughs> <laughs> I just didn't see it coming. So Paul White comes out and faces off against the factory. Uh, basically, gets them out of the ring all by himself. Then the gun club kind of makes this like late showing uh, while Paul White's back is turned and he's kind of mouthing off to QT Marshall and crew. uh, Billy Gunn just winds up and hits him in the fucking hip with a chair. Uh, (laughs) Just completely out of nowhere. Um, They didn't make it clear whether or not like, you know, the gun club was now aligned with, you know, QT Marshall and crew. QT was kind of acting surprised by it. I don't know where this is going, uh, but at least it's a little wrinkle to make this match interesting because, I don't know, I don't see any way QT Marshall's walking out with a win. My guess is, you know, it'll be probably a minute match tops. See, I was thinking QT Marshall's going to win by cheating, and then it'll lead into Paul White going up against the gun club. I just don't see him losing his first match in AEW, especially against QT Marshall. I see where you're going, and I could see Mm -hmm. that working, too, but I feel like he's probably just going to kill QT and then have the gun club attack him afterwards and, you know, take take a big beat down or something like that. And that leaves enough meat on the bone to, you know, start a feud between, you know, Paul White and, you know, Billy Gunn, maybe. Once again, 20 years too late. All right. Well, uh, up next, we had Chris Jericho versus MJF. But if Chris Jericho loses, he must retire from in-ring competition. Now, I get the stipulation because you have to have a reason to have a fourth match, basically. Yes. Especially after uh-huh. Jericho lost, you know, three of them. Uh, if you count the whole blood and guts match. Uh, that being said, though, I'm not a huge fan of it because I feel like it just tells me right off the bat that, you know, Jericho's winning this match. <laughs> just because I just don't see him retiring here. Mm. Right. In AEW, they're steadfast as sticking to their stipulations. So if he says he's going to retire, if he loses his match, I don't see them backtracking at all from that. And I just mm. and I just don't think Jericho's ready to retire. <laughs> so uh, but I'm fine with that. I'm fine with the storyline being predictable with Jericho finally getting a win against MJF. 
you know, and, you know, leaving the storyline on a happy note. I mean, yeah, it doesn't hurt um, MJF, to, I think, to lose at this point to Chris Jericho after having three victories. Yeah, He's always exactly. going to be able to say, I, I, you know, I've beaten you three times. But it would be an also a great, you know, notch for him to constantly be bringing up, you know, I'm the guy that retired Chris Jericho. I mean, I, but I agree with you. I don't think Jericho's ready to go yeah. from wrestling just yet. I feel like they would have made a bigger deal out of this if this, you know, mm-hmm. was a possible retirement match for him. But actually, what I'm more curious about is, like, where does this leave both of their factions? Because right now, I feel like there's not much, like, cohesiveness between mm-hmm. both groups. Like, we don't really see them on the screen together. So I'm wondering if that's on purpose, like if they're planning on breaking them up, because there are a lot of factions in AEW. Um, I just feel like it's just way too soon for the pinnacle, though, where, you know, Inner Circle, I mean, they've been together since like day one. So even if they take like a hiatus from each other, you know, like a, a break almost. Um, and, you know, allow them to all kind of do their separate things. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Speaking of which, tonight we had the rematch between Proud and Powerful and uh, FTR. Fantastic match. Hard hitting. Great pace. Uh, Proud and Powerful actually went over. Uh, since both teams are one and one right now in this feud, I was really hoping that we would see a rubber match at the pay-per-view. But I guess that's just not in the cards. Um, I don't know if I want to see the feud kind of end on that note between these two teams. Uh, it really feels like, though, like Proud and Powerful are ready for like a, you know, a title push at this point, you know. Gotcha. Because they they mm. really haven't had that opportunity. No, not since like early on in the show. They haven't been anywhere near title picture. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like it's time for them to jump back in that scene. Um, you know, mm. and go, you know, up against the Young Bucks. I could see them doing maybe the rubber match around New York or sometime around then. I hope so, because it was an awesome match and I want to see more mm. of it. Well, up next, we have Miro going up against Eddie Kingston for the TNT Championship. So I've got a gut feeling that Lana's going to end up showing up here with Miro. He's been talking a you know a lot more about her like in his promos and everything mm-hmm. i'm just hoping that we get like the full gimmick like the russian accent and the whole nine yards uh but yeah no i just feel like that's happening sooner than later and i think her 90 days are actually up at this point yes so uh i'm looking forward to this match though i feel like it's a real styles clash between the two so i just expect like both of them just to beat the shit out of each other in the middle of the ring and i'm in for it um, and I feel like this is going to be just the start of the program between these guys. So I, I don't see like Miro losing here because I just feel like it's too soon. But eventually, maybe at the end of the program, you know, we see, you know, Kingston actually, you know, pick up that title, perhaps like in a rematch in New York. So I guess you probably figure, you know, Lana shows up, causes some type of distraction or interference then to continue the storyline. Um, maybe some kind of interference. I feel like if she's going to show up, though, she's got to, like, show up with him during his entrance because that's, like, you know, yes. the classic oh, scene. So I think, like, <laughs> somewhere in the middle of the match, she ends up, you know, costing, you know, Kingston the win. But yeah, I definitely agree. I think Miro will hold on to his title for right now. Um, I, but I, I definitely think with their weird styles, they're going to be just beating the hell out of each other in this ring. <laughs> yeah, they had a brawl on Rampage and Kingston, like, was just fucking punching the shit out of Miro's uh, kidneys. Uh, <laughs> it's like, Jesus Christ, he's laid it in. 
Uh, but I don't know. I was like, I need more of this. All right. We have the Young Bucks going up against the Lucha Brothers in a steel cage match for the World Tag Team Championships. So I feel like this is probably going to end up being the match of the night. Um, I can't even imagine what these two teams are going to do, like utilizing a steel cage um, to its fullest. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, on tonight's Dynamite, uh, we actually had the Bucks and, you know, the whole Super Elite trap uh, the Lucha Brothers and Jurassic Express and Christian Cage actually in the cage uh, for a giant fucking beatdown. And that's how they went off the air. Uh, it was pretty well done and effective. Um, so I don't know. I like I just I don't see the Lucha Brothers walking away with the titles here. Just because I feel like they're really like building up Jurassic Express. Yes. Um, you know, and I'm wondering if that's going to get paid off at that New York show. Because um, that just feels like the main feud right now. And this might end up just being like one hell of a pit stop before we, you know, move on to that. No, yeah, I was definitely surprised when uh, the Lucha Brothers went over Jurassic Express on Rampage. Mm-hmm. You know, they, it was a great match. And I, I definitely I'm, I'm not like upset by it because I definitely think the Lucha Brothers are at their best when they have absolutely no rules to restrain them. Exactly. And I'm like, <laughs> how all? can you possibly be upset at getting like a Young Bucks Lucha Brothers match? Right. Exactly. Because I'm, I'm with you. Like storyline wise, I was like, this makes no sense. It felt like the whole cage gimmick was built for Jurassic mm. Express and the Young Bucks. But I guess if this is going to be part of a bigger storyline, that's fine. And like I said, I mean, this is going to be a complete like spectacle. So how could you possibly be upset at this match? Now, do you feel like Andrade is going to get involved some? somehow i know we kind of mentioned it before but if he is you know in the states like i mean does he like somehow you know interfere on the part of the lucha brothers trying to like win them away from pack i feel like in in order to continue on with probably with the jurassic express angle they'll probably have jurassic express trying to make some type of save in this match Mm -hmm. rather than having someone like andrade there to you know reinforce and make sure that um, the lucha brothers win Um, i could see andrade showing up later after the lucha brothers have lost to be like Hey, your leader's not here, mm-hmm. and this is what happens. You lose. You know, I'm. You know, I would have been here, and I would have secured you guys a victory. Oh, that's a you good know, point. I, I could see that type of storyline playing out. Yeah, where he's like manipulating, you know, the Lucha Brothers and blaming the loss on Pack. You know, where you mm-hmm. know if they were with him, obviously they'd have gold right now. Exactly. Uh, I also think there's no way that the elite aren't going to create as many shenanigans as possible <laughs> to either, you know, have someone extra in the match or uh-huh. to do something that gets them out of the ring. What do you think? Like Brandon Cutler's underneath the ring or something? <sighs> something. Yeah, they'll, they'll do something. <laughs> Could you imagine Brandon Cutler coming out of the middle of the ring, like cutting a hole? Like the Undertaker? Just spraying everyone? <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, I definitely would love to see that. Uh, Cutler's really like upped his game and he's like secretly Mm. like the mvp of like the elite right now i feel like (laughs) like he's so over the top ridiculous 
I can't help but like laugh every time he's out there. Uh-huh. He just adds so much to that team. All that cold spray. Uh-huh. <laughs> the stupid mask and, you know, the ridiculous uh-huh. jumpsuit he's always wearing. At least he's not dressed up like a dragon anymore. Well, up next, we have Dr. Britt Baker, DMD, going up against Chris Statlander for the AEW Women's World Championship. I don't see any way that Britt Baker isn't winning this match. Yeah, I I can agree with you. I think they'll have a good fight, at least. I hope so, Uh, (laughs) because Britt's injured right now. So I'm guessing her wrist is still fucked up. So I'm I'm, still fucked up. Yeah. My guess is we'll probably have some outside interference from like Jamie Hayter and Rebel just to kind of carry the brunt of the load. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I can't imagine wrestling with a broken wrist. So (laughs) she's got to be limited. I mean, she had a decent match with, you know, Velvet, but. I don't know. I, I don't I don't see this going long because I imagine they have to have Velvet come out just because there's been so many like of that interference interaction between all of their matches uh, over the time. Yeah, I could see that where she comes out to make the save. I feel like she'll just get beat down right away. And honestly, you know, Chicago is going to be 100 percent behind Brit. So I don't even know why you bother <laughs> doing oh, that. The story is a bust. Yeah, like I, it just I, mean, I don't know. I, don't know. I just really feels like they're going against the grain here. And I really wish mm-hmm. they would like move on because it's doing Red Velvet, I feel like, more harm than good. I think that would be probably the only reason I would want Thunder Rosa not to win the 21 Women Casino Battle Royal. And so that they could spend even more time to build her up to make sure that she's just as like over as Britt Baker mm. before she goes up against her. Because, I mean, she is very popular. And I feel like there's a lot of people behind her. But Britt Baker is just, you know, she is yeah. the top woman in AEW for a She's reason. She's white hot right now. Um, yes. I don't know, man. Like, I, I once again, they're going against the grain here. I just wish they would give her, like, the Stone Cold treatment. You know, like, where she keeps that attitude and everything. You know, be cocky. But at the same time, maybe not have the heel tactics as overt. Because she's not really, like, you know, blasting the audience anymore. But, like, it's just, like, the open cheating and, like, the beating down of the baby face after the match, you know? It's just a weird scene to see a crowd, like, cheering that. Um, and, like I said, it's not helping your baby faces. I feel like that response could happen to, like, Chris Stratlander here. And, I mean, that's just not going to help her. I don't... I. I don't understand, like, what's the point of that? Like, who does that end up helping in the long run? Like, you can keep Brit White hot, just, you know, a couple little tweaks here and there and have her face off against, you know, more, like, heel competition. I think she'll be fine. Well, next we have our AEW World Championship match between Kenny Omega and Christian Cage. So do you put this match as the main event or do you have Punk versus Darby as the main event? I would put this match as the main event, but I do understand that, you know, he, Punk's been gone for seven yeah. years. And that's the biggest draw of this card, pretty yeah. much. I've just, I guess I'm just a traditionalist. I feel like the championship mm-hmm. belt should always be like the main event of the pay-per-view. No, I agree. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely can, you know, understand the argument for Punk versus Darby being like the main event because... Once again, mm-hmm. that's why a lot of people are here, and that's what most people are anticipating for this pay-per-view. So um, 
I think this is going to be a hell of a match. I feel like this is going to be kind of like the sleeper match of the card. Um, Cause I know like how skilled both, you know, Omega and Christian cage are. And I feel like they held back a lot of shit for this match. So, um, and I love their first match. So I'm really excited to see what they have planned here. Um, I am hoping that they play a little bit of a storyline where, you know, the Young Bucks have been through this hellacious match in the in the steel cage and they're not able to come out and aid Kenny Omega as as easily. OK. OK, but you still have Omega going over regardless, right? Oh, yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I think there's no way in hell Christian beats Omega for the AEW World now, Championship. Now, I'm really surprised. I was expecting Cage to put like the Impact titles on the line. Yes. I thought that was going to be used to kind of sweeten the pot for the match. But that's not the case. So I'm wondering if maybe like Omega gets a rematch on Impact for those titles. Or do you think he's just Maybe. done with it? Because it just feels like it just started, you know? Yeah. But at the same time, it, it depends on how much further could they really go with it. If they could actually do New Japan titles, then yes, I would want him to be holding the Impact right? titles as well. Yeah, but I don't know. I feel like, you know, another run with the Impact titles still in the future for, for okay. Omega. So I, I feel like the belt collector gimmick isn't over just yet. I mean, maybe we see Cage drop the titles to someone on Impact and then Omega go after them. Who knows? For this match, there's no way I don't see, like, Omega not going over. Exactly. But we mentioned it before. We have CM Punk versus Darby Allin. CM Punk returning after seven long years to the ring. And I think I saw a clip today of him doing a GTS for the first time on television forever. <laughs> so, yeah, tonight uh, Punk came out to a tremendous ovation. But he was quickly interrupted and jumped by 2.0 and uh, Daniel Garcia. Uh, so we finally got to see Punk in action. This ended up causing Sting and Darby Allen to come out and make the save. All three of them ended up getting a spotlight moment, hitting their finishers on, you know, their assailants, uh, you know, and then we had a big face to face stare down between Darby Allen and Punk. Uh, Sting got on the mic, basically put over Punk and Darby and then said at the pay-per-view he was going to remove himself from the equation. So, um pretty awesome moment uh it was great to see punk actually in action uh you could tell he was really enjoying himself uh you mm. know and it, it just hyped me up for the pay-per-view even more well all right who do you think is going to go over in the same punk man are you crazy <laughs> <laughs> there's no way punk's coming out of retirement for seven years and losing his first match so what a swerve though <laughs> i guess but i feel like that's just a swerve for swerve's sake i feel like you could do a match uh, that ends up putting over you know punk and darby in the long run i feel like most likely we're gonna get the classic situation where we get an awesome match that ends up really like you know putting over punk but also putting over darby at the same time you know mm -hmm. where there's really like no real losers so after the little melee uh in the beginning of dynamite uh, we did have a little promo package by Darby where he was really candid talking about how Punk was his favorite, you know, wrestler growing up, uh, and how he was actually quite offended by the fact that Punk said that he was like the first to face off against, um, where he should, he feels like he should be the last person Punk should be going after, you know, he should mm -hmm. be building up to him, I guess is what he was trying to say. 
Um, oh, okay. So I'm not going to lie, though. <laughs> I am a little nervous about this match because I feel like there's no way that like Punk doesn't have some decent like ring rust on him. So I hope he's really been like, mm-hmm. you know, working in the ring you know, beforehand. Um, And I know, you know, he's been training for the UFC and everything like that. So it's not like he's not in shape, but, you know, ring shape is a lot different than like, you know, your average everyday shape. So, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, and wrestling is just a whole different beast. And, you know, there's no way he doesn't have ring rust on him. So I hope he's been like working hard in the ring and just, you know, getting himself back to where he needs to be, you know, for this match. Because, you know, I mean, the vultures are going to definitely be out, you know, looking for anything Mm -hmm. to just shit on him. So, yeah, because I don't want this to be like a five to ten minute match. I would like it to go the distance. But I understand, you know, it's his first match back in seven years. I mean, I would be surprised if you got anything more than like a 20 minute match. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't foresee like a 30 minute match or anything like that. Like, I mean, I feel and that's totally fine. I mean, after seven years, um, mm-hmm. you know, just give us like a, you know, a 15 to 20 minute barn burner and, you know, call it a day. But it's definitely an interesting matchup, especially when you think about it. It'd be much easier for him to go up against a heel in this match. So it was an interesting mm-hmm. choice to have him, you know. You know, in a baby face, baby face first baby face match. Um, but I guess it's a really good way to like, you know, for him to get his feet wet and really just acknowledge the young talent in AEW and at the same time proving that he can, you know, hang with them. Now, in my fantasy, I would love it for Al- Malachi Black, I should say, to come out and attack Punk after the match. But. I do know he's in a deep program with, you know, the Nightmare family and he'll probably be going up against Cody again at some point in the future. Yeah, no, but that would be an awesome matchup, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> I guess it all depends on when Cody's coming back. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I just feel like it's probably going to be at that New York show. It can't be Omega. We have to wait. For no, that. no. Yeah, no. The AEW is not going to play that. No, mm-hmm. I don't think. Punk or Tony Khan would want that. I feel like they they need to establish him and reestablish him and then have him like earn his way up, you know, into the title picture. You know, you don't want to do too much too soon mm-hmm. because then it's just going to be like too much of what we get on the other channel where, you know, people come out of retirement and get title shots right away. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I could see them possibly uh, going MJF. That would be a great match. I just I don't I don't know if I want to see MJF lose to Punk right now. <laughs> he doesn't necessarily have to lose to Punk though. True. You know, you could have them go back and forth. Or what about Moxley? I feel like Moxley is teasing a heel turn. Mm-hmm. You know, feels like um, any day now, right? And they've never had like a proper feud. Mm-hmm. So I mean you know, if Moxley kind of acts as like a gatekeeper, which his promos have been kind of like indicating, um, you know, like I was here first, I was really the pioneer. And now we've got these like Johnny come lately's, you know, coming in and trying to grab my glory. Like, what if he's that like pissed off about it? And, you know, you have a face off between Punk and Moxley. Like, I wouldn't mind seeing that. I'd be down. Just a random paradigm shift at the end of the show. That'd be like mm-hmm. a good twist on you know Moxley's you know return himself. 
Right, right. Now, the big rumor is that we're supposed to have Daniel Bryan or Brian mm-hmm. Danielson uh, showing up on this show. Um, do you think that's going to be the case? I Oh, him showing up? I definitely think he'll show up. I, I think it'll be more along the lines of something that we saw with like Christian Cage where he showed up, shows his contract and then leaves. But, you know. Well... Or you go with the Kenny Omega and Christian match last, and then when Omega wins, you have Brian Danielson show up. And they have like a brief like stare down, you know, hint at things to come, and then, you know, you have everyone talking. You don't have to go to that match right away. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you save that. But, I mean, that's similar to kind of what they did with Christian. If you remember like in the Dynamite like a week or two after his debut, he did have a stare down with Omega, you know, and then they kind of put that on the back burner and he had to earn his way up to it, uh, up to a title match. So I don't know. It'd be one hell of a way to like kind of end the show on a big note, mm-hmm. especially if we do have the world title as the main event. Cause also the thing is like, I feel like there's no way that the next big program for Omega isn't Adam page. You know, we know right now he's at home because he's got a newborn. Mm-hmm. But I feel like, you know, right after, you know, his sabbatical's over with, they're going to be like kickstarting that program again. So, I mean, you could have Omega actually lose the belt to Paige and then pay off that Omega Daniel Bryan moment if you want. Yeah. And it just I, won't be for the title. I definitely, I am still missing Paige being on this card. yeah it's unfortunate but i get like you know he took himself off of it so because it it obviously feels like the more natural progression of that Mm -hmm. storyline um but yeah and i don't know what it is but maybe it's just because this was like really their first pay-per-view but i always feel like this is kind of like their wrestlemania and i know Mm -hmm. they don't think in those terms but i do and i can't help it I was raised by WWE. Um, so do you think somewhere down the line they end up putting together like a WrestleMania type event? Well, I do think like after maybe a couple more years, they could possibly turn all out into that big event that we all think it it is. <laughs> See, I, but I think at this point, I feel like the perception is what it is. You know, it's just hmm. another pay-per-view. I feel like if they do that and they want to have a WrestleMania level event now, they need to add something else, something special. Gotcha. You know, but that's neither here nor there. I mean, All Out looks to be one hell of a card that I'm really looking forward to. And I can't wait to find out if all of our predictions came true. But of course, join us next episode as we review All Out. Well, that does it for this week. That's right. And as a friendly reminder, if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, remember to subscribe, rate, and give us a five-star review. Exactly. It sure does help an independent podcast like ours continue to grow. And while you're at it, make sure to tell a friend. Plus, if you like any of the stories we talked about on this week's episode, make sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to catch the full articles, trailers, memes, and more. That's right. You can follow us at Amazing Nerd Show on all social media platforms. And hey, if you're looking for extra content, make sure to catch our streams every weekend on Twitch, plus YouTube videos Monday through Friday. Want to support the show further? You can head over to tpublic.com and get yourself some Amazing Nerd Show merch. 
We've got t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd swag if you live in the United States. Well, all right, Damon, what are we talking about next week? So after seemingly waiting forever, the MCU Shang-Chi is finally here. So we're going to have a review for that. And we're also going to be breaking down episode five of Marvel's What If. It's also the season finale of Rick and Morty this weekend. So I'll have a review for that. Plus, we'll be talking AEW's All Out. My name's Christian. And my name's Damon. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show. What was that? Went forward in time to view alternate futures, to see all the possible outcomes of the coming conflict. How many did you see? 14,605. How many did we win? <laughs>